who can say what the will of God is in every respect. So, at any rate, he expressed with this uh, sentiment, conviction, and with spiritual type of analysis that Prabhupada had such sentiment also. And there's abundant evidence of that, abundant evidence. And one of the principal forms of evidence of that is that going to ask around of many people who have been influenced by Prabhupada and his disciples, you find many people are, much as they've been told not to think about it, if you really dig a little bit, then you find they have some interest. It's, it's quite common, actually, because they've been influenced by his, him means his bhava, so it comes out. If you're associated with such a, that kind of a influence, then you develop some attraction for that. It may not necessarily be your your destiny, that's possible, but some affinity for that will, will come in, and very well may be also. And that may be why uh, persons are connected with him. You know, a guru like Prabhupada, for example, was, was had a very, very wide campaign. So he was recruiting for the whole of the Sampradaya broadly, and he was recruiting also in terms of Bhaktivinoda Thakur's vision of the Sampradaya, like I mentioned earlier, that collect everybody. If you want to go to Vaikuntha, you want to worship Sita and Ram, you know, worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he was a guru like that is doing very, very broad recruiting. So in the context of that, some people who come may be in his particular group, just like President Bush is the president of the United States. So he represents the whole country and he tries, you know, to do so. I'm just speaking, of course, theoretically, but he tries to do so objectively and not show any favoritism to any particular state. But every now and then it comes out. You know, he's a Texan. And every now and then he goes there to his ranch in Texas. And maybe he, while he's the president and so forth, and he, he likes certain foods from Texas, you know. You know, although he wears a suit and a tie and so forth, he also wears boots. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but he a lot of time he wears cowboy boots. And if you pull up this... That's what he's got on. <laughs> so one who scrutinizes, analyzes him, has such interest in Mr. President, will find some sympathy for Texas arising them. It's natural. And some may like him so much that that aspect of him, that he's a Texan, that's like the hidden aspect, and that's most charming to them. They like that. Some people may be repulsed by it. <laughs> That's another thing. Of course, that's just a material example, but we would never be repulsed by the sentiment of a person who takes a position, for example, like Prabhupada, for wide recruiting, representing the whole sampradaya, whereas some gurus won't be involved in that. Wide-scale recruiting, they're just collecting people who have potential for similar sentiments as them, and so on. Understand? Yes. So there's good reason, as I say, for the, the idea that Prabhupada had such affinity, but that's an anomaly also, in a sense. It's not really. What I mean is that because the furthest reach of the Sampradaya is the Manjari Bhav, and in the full sense of the Rupanuga Bhajan means to cultivate that and so forth, that's true. And because, again, from an intellectual point of view, one can deduce that by analyzing the, the tradition, then there has been a kind of an intellectual yet inordinate emphasis on that sometimes over, over centuries in such a way as to dismiss the fact that these other sentiments and this Saki sentiment, for example, in particular, has has shown up. It's there, like Goridas Pandit initiated Hridai Chaitanya, Vuki Krishnadas was his disciple. That was the Sakyarasa lineage. He became Shamananda by the influence of the Lalita, Vishaka, and the mystic experience in Vrindavan and so forth. But if you look at the, just look at that lineage, for example, you find that there is Sakya, then it all becomes, for some Sakya to appear in there, it's not really an anomaly. But sometimes because of the kind of theoretical, let's say, emphasis on Madhurya, then it's hard to, it's like, well, he's out of place here. It's a lot of place. How do we deal with this? 
But if you look really at the Sampradaya, you see, oh, it's not a problem. Especially when we look at the, as I say, the, the emphasis on the friendly love that has full acquaintance and participation in the romantic life of Krishna. If you take, for example, all of those friends of Krishna in that sector, which Rupa Goswami has emphasized is, is the best of all the friends of Krishna because they participate in the secret romantic life of Krishna. You know, many people are, are being recruited to tender to the pangs of Radha's separation from Krishna in Gopi Bhav, Manjari Bhava. But what about Krishna? <laughs> he has pangs of separation from Radha, so who tenders to that? All these boys, they do that. Not only that, but also they all have a, a Yuteshwari, a, a lady group leader also. So whether they have a group leader in that sector, like Subal, for example, he has a group leader also. So you come under him, him as a group, or somebody in his group as a group leader, just using him as paradigmatically speaking. He's a group leader there. There are other group leaders, Ujval and uh, like Madhu Mangal and so forth. But they each have connection with the Gopis group. So if you study carefully the writings, what does Rupa Goswami say? He says in one place, Radha Sandesh Prindam Katayati Subalaha Pusha Krishna Sakarne. And then in the context of that verse he mentions other boys and other services. This line says, Oh, and Subal, just see Pasha Subala Krishna Sakarne. In the ear of Krishna, Radha Sandesh Vrindam Katayati. Vrindam means group, so it means all, all the messages, Radha Sandesh, all the messages of Krishna, Katayati, Subala. He's whispering into the ear of Radha. And then other Saka is doing this on behalf of Taraka, Pali, Shamala, different group, Yuteshwaris, group leaders, gopis. So, what do you get draw for? Oh, Radha is the group leader for Subal. Or if you go to Govindalayamrita and you study the Leela from in the midday of Krishna, he's with his friends in the forest with Ram, cow herding. Everything's going fine on the surface. But underneath there's some problem because Krishna's in the forest to herd cows, no doubt about that. But he's also in the forest for another reason the possibility of some meeting with Radha and the gopis, which can't be done in the open in the village. And so some friends are helping him with that. Some gopi messengers are also involved in helping to orchestrate the rendezvous. So with the help of one Priyanarma Sakha, some excuse will come to surface. And every day it has to be a new excuse. Why he has to leave the main group and can't take everybody with him. If Madhu Mangal makes a suggestion that there's an astrologer I know and he knows everything and it would be interesting to meet with him, why don't we go? Everybody's excited. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> but then Krishna would say, it's a good idea, but he's a very respectable person. And if we go there, we shouldn't go in a big group. We have to just go with a few people. So some reasoning is given. Subal will make some excuse. Every day a new excuse has to come. Every day it makes sense to all the other cowherds and Ram who stay behind in the forest. And Krishna with this Priyanarma Sarkas, he'll go to Shamkund. And at Shamkund, then there are so many little kunjas around the kund, around the lake, there are little forests. Kunja means like, like a garden. Each of the gardens is predominated <coughs> by different Yuteshwaris, group leaders amongst the gopis, like Radha and uh, Chandravali and so on and so forth. So... There in Govindalilamrita or Krishna Bhavanamrita, you can trace it out and find. Oh, that these Purnamas, they go up to Shamkun. Shamkun's next to Radhakun. They don't go into Radhakun. Krishna goes in with the gopis, but they go up to Shamkun. And they are identified with the different kunjas of the different group leaders. Subal with Radha and Madhu Mangal Lalita and Ujjval with. Vishaka, Gwadalita, Vishaka, they're potential group leaders, but they submit to Radha, seeing her superiority, so they're technically really in her group. But at any, any rate, the point is that these different boys, they all have connection with a, with a lady group leader, where they also they know everything about her needs and so forth. When they're with such, in the circle of the gopis, without Krishna, 
they take the side of the gopis and their group leader in any romantic disputes between her and Krishna. And when they're in the company of Krishna, or Krishna and the gopis, yeah, we take the side of Krishna in all arguments, naturally. So they are a special group, and understandably, because this romantic life of Krishna is full expression of this life, and that's what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was coming to show about. If he's coming to teach about Vrindavan, that's what Vrindavan is really all about. That's not to diminish the different roles in that eternal drama. Without those different roles, the drama would not be what it is. Without the opposition, you see, from Vatsalya Rasa, then Parakya would not be able to be fully expressed, the un- unwedded love. So Vatsalya is incompatible with Madhurya. Another reason why in a Gaudiya Sampradaya, the Sakya sentiment, would, rather than Madhurya sentiment, is more prominent. Because Sakyaras is, is completely favorable to that conjugal love. Whereas what we do find in Balava Sampradaya, which is also Ragmark Sampradaya, and Balava was a contemporary of Mahaprabhu, blessed by Mahaprabhu to do his own work, ultimately. We find emphasis on Vatsalya Bhakti. And the emphasis on Madhurya that's there is in relation to Chandravali rather than Radha. So that helps to narrow it down. You see? <laughs> so then you think now about yourself and you examine yourself and you think, what do you find attractive? Then if you read the books and you think and, and you see where you find attraction in one of these two type of groups, which you feel more comfortable, then yeah, pursue that. And is that valid? Even though, you know, some degree of it, even when one is still quite full of an artist. Yeah, it's there. But, of course, not in an inordinate way, in an artificial way, and a way that won't serve to promote that, but will just cheapen it. If you have some, oh, I would like to think of Krishna as my friend, if you feel like that. Then you have to study what that means, too what those devotees do, or if you think, I like to think of Krishna like in the gopi Bhav, then you have to adjust and see, oh, what are the gopis, friends of Radha, how they think, and what, what the service is, relative to the level of your interest and, and so forth. Those things will become more important. But uh, just to go and collect a bunch of information, and then you only want to talk about that, and the point where you only want to talk about that, really, there will be many other qualities in you but if you don't find all those other qualities in the person, but they only want to talk about that kind of thing, then you feel, oh, this is inordinate and it's inappropriate. So in a simple way, just for example, if you find, oh, yeah, I feel more comfortable with this, then you may think, you have to think of Krishna. And if you chant, you may think of Krishna, so you may think of Krishna as with his friends and cows, and that may be very charming to you. You think, oh, I would serve in that capacity, have some little service there to sweep the forest ground before Krishna. See, all, that's another thing that's important to note, is that whether you take the Manjuri Bhav or the Sakya Bhav, for example, the sadhakas who attain Siddhi perfection in relation to these sentiments, their service there will be in relation to the eternal associates who are involved. They'll have some service to them, like Subal, Sridam. They've got millions of servant friends who are all sadhakas. They're serving that bhava. That's what they're about. He embodies that. Rupa Manjari embodies fully that bhava. For example, let's say, in relation to conjugal love, someone says, well, I like the conjugal love. I like that idea. But they may be thinking, yeah, I want to have a romantic relationship with Krishna. But if you study the Sampradaya, what access you actually have to the romantic life of Krishna is full access, but, interestingly enough, in such a way that you will not have a direct conjugal relationship with Krishna, but you become a servant, a maidservant of Radha. It's interesting because much as you don't, sometimes you're careful not to talk about higher things, if you talk about this thing in a higher sense, in terms of detail, it becomes clear. These manjuris are servants. In fact, their bhava has been likened to dasya, although it's the full measure of madhurya. It very clearly takes a form of service. It's very 
difficult to misconstrue. You understand? They're experiencing everything that Radha experiences in the depths of the forest, in the privacy of her romantic love with Krishna, without going there, even. Or without directly participating in that, just by identifying with Radha and her service. So through identification, vicariously, they experience. And in the Sakiras also, it's similar, where the boys will go in, in the forest and herd cows, and the sadhakas will have some role there, sweep the ground, and maybe they come and get some opportunity. But it's, they have some, it's a little different, they have some direct contact with Krishna. But anyway, my point is that these sentiments are experienced fully by sadhakas who become perfect, but the context in which they experience that very clearly demonstrates that what that is, is service. Because in its face, obviously, when you talk about it, it doesn't look like service. When a cowherd boy is wrestling Krishna to the ground and defeating him, and Krishna has to carry him on his shoulders because he lost the match, Radharani is cursing Krishna and calling him different names and saying she never wants to see him. And we, you think, well, I thought we were supposed to glorify Krishna and to serve Krishna. You know, it doesn't look like service. It is a form of service. We look deeply and we see, oh, service takes such a shape. Love takes such a shape at some point. But service is the basis. Therefore, the rasa is one. What is the one rasa? It's bhakti rasa, devotion, love. But it has different expressions. So in a simple sense, and it's like I don't know you very well, so I, I, I cannot give you too much detailed advice, but, but I give you some general advice like this. I like hearing how that the context in which sadhakas enter is that they're going to it's service, menial service. That's been really helpful for me. I've heard it before to let me know, yeah, I really better work on wanting to just be a menial servant and practice that a lot in this. That's the basic ego. But right. um, even though, like, the maid servants of Srimaji Radharani who have no direct contact with Krishna, that's what where sadhakas who are so inclined may end up, then how is it, you don't seem to hear, the people in Krishna book don't ever, doesn't seem like there's any of those people, like even the stories of sadhakas who are becoming, like the one you were telling the other night, those are sadhakas, it seemed like, who were becoming perfected, but they were praying, they ended up in the rasa dance. They were praying to Krishna to have a relationship with him, and a year later they were in the Rasa dance, and it seemed like that's not the position that these sadhakas we were talking about before would have. I'm just been curious about that. The sadhakas in a Gopi Bhav or the Manjari Bhav, who go, they also go to Rasa dance because if they're, for example, Manjari of Radha, she's there. So they're also there, and they have their particular service in that context. They're fully participating in all the, those leelas. But you see, one thing is that Golok has some Aishwarya. So all these leelas are continually going on in, in Goloka, in Aprakat Lila, the unmanifest leela. But there it has, it's called the Deva Lila, so it has more godliness to it. So it's a little different than the leela here, which is more human-like, sweeter thereby also. So... Radharani will have so many serv- maidservants and they will be with her and uh, so it, it's a little different. In Krishna book it means Bhagavatam then things are there but everything is not overt therefore you study the Goswami's commentaries they bring out different things and so forth. The sadhakas who entered the Rasalila of course they couldn't enter first. Some could. The Shutichari gopis who are the deities that personify uh, preside over the certain Upanishads, like Gopaltap and Upanishad, and so forth. They wanted that type of love. They were able to enter. But the, from Dandakaranya, their development in bhajan was not uh, to the extent that they could enter when Krishna played his flute. In fact, they had to marry. The Shutichari Gopis didn't have to marry. They had to marry other cowherds. They had children. They couldn't go. Their husbands checked them. Inconceivable. This is uh, they're in Surup City, but these things are are going on. And what kind of husbands they were, whether they were Nityasiddhas, uh, Gopas, or <laughs> Sadakas, uh, no information has been given about that. So, but anyway, they entered there, and, and they, but they were checked. So the checking 
that didn't allow them to go that night on the full moon to meet with Krishna. You can imagine to be so close that their separation was so intense that it promoted their development and intensified their practice. And then they were able to participate after that. Because Bhagavatam is, like I said the other night, just kind of giving an overview. It's happening every night. Krishna's going in the forest, meeting with the gopis. They were able to. They were able to enter into the Vastu city, the ultimate perfection. So it's all there. But as I said, by studying the Goswami's books on the good guidance and so forth, you know, all the more details come out. Just uh, related, just wondering if you could connect. You got the prayer of uh, Bhakti Siddhanta, Mike's final instructions that we should pray to become a speck of foot dust. Rupa Goswami. You know, it's like, what is that, and how does it connect to what we've just discussed here? I wonder if you could expand on, on that. Well, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself aspired to become a particle of dust at the feet of Krishna, right? He said, Ainanda Tanuja Kinkar. Kinkar means servant. Ainanda Tanuja Kinkara Patitam Visham Bhavambudu Kripayatava Pada Pankaja Stitudali Sadisham Vichinka. So let me become a, like a servant as a particle of dust at the feet of Krishna. So I think um, what that means, what he's saying there, is that that verse of Shikshastakam corresponds with the developmental stage in practice of asakti, which is the last stage in sadhana bhakti before one enters into bhava bhakti. So at that last stage of sadhana bhakti, the gateway to bhava bhakti, Mahaprabhu is saying one will glimpse one's position as a servant of Krishna. What kind of servant? By use of the word kinkara and particle of dust, he's saying, in the general sense, in this stage, one glimpses his serving ego and then enters into bhava bhakti to cultivate that, which is a bhava, which is a spiritual emotion, to cultivate that further and churn it into prema. It is a ray of the sun of prema. So, in the same way, uh, we can say with regard to Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthitaka's statement, the particle of dust at the feet of Rupa Goswami. Right. Well, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthitaka also was very clear that he was a member of the Gopi group. This was his sentiment mm-hmm. and his identity. Nayanamani Manjari. Mm-hmm. So, he identified himself as such. So, you can also say that, well, he's speaking about that sentiment, the general idea, but apparently some of the disciples also developed a different sentiment, but all in conjunction with him, because of the, he's the group leader on that side, a representative of the group leader on that side of the equation of their Sakyarasa, like for, as I say, Kitchener Krishna, Babaji Maharaj, or if you can see the Prabhupada in that, in that way. You can say to be a follower of Rupa Goswami means to follow the conjugal sentiment. That's true. But Rupa Goswami is also speaking in general for all the types of bhakti. You know, Narayan Marsh is very much likes to speak about the Manjari Baba, emphasized this, and he conceives himself in that way, and there was Gurudev and so forth. And that's the dominant influence in the Sampradaya and, and so on. I've had a couple conversations with him, about three or four conversations with him about these kind of topics and so forth. And he has always acquiesced to my insistence that other such sentiments also include, like we're talking about, such sentiments being a follower of Rupa Goswami and have place in Sampradaya. And he would resist, but when he saw I could knew something, (laughs) yeah, he said, also, that's there. No harm, he said, no harm. (laughs) <laughs> I'll say no harm. It was an interesting way to say it, mm-hmm. no harm. Because when Sridhar Marsh spoke about Prabhupada in light of his affinity, Sridhar Marsh's perception that Prabhupada had affinity for Sakyarasa, then he said some wonderful things, very charming, beautiful things. And um, at the same time, some people who weren't associated with Sridhar Marsh, they complained as if he was making demeaning statements about Prabhupada 
as if to say, well, Prabhupada's only in the Sakya Rasa, and I'm in the Madhurya Rasa, therefore you should come to me. That's how they portrayed it, because obviously it was not what he was saying at all. So when the news came back to him that some people were disturbed and felt offended and insulted that uh, he would say that Prabhupada was in the Sakya Rasa and, and that portrayed it as, as if he'd insulted him, Sridharmarsh was just astounded when he heard that. He said, what do they think is, is a bad thing? <laughs> he could just, just, couldn't, just couldn't, like, what do they, they think is a bad thing? I thought it was rather, a, when I said I thought it was rather a compliment that I made such a statement. I once talked to Bhakti Pramod Puri Goswami Maharaj, and I was discussing about this point that some people have taken such remarks to be demeaning, insult of Prabhupada rather than the glorification. And they gave some reasoning that, well, that if you, or that it was a problem. If your guru is in the Sakyarasa, then it could be a problem for you because you might have affinity for the Madhuryarasa. So it was a problem. He laughed. He said, Baba, he said, if you have a guru who's situated in Sakyarasa, you don't have a problem. <laughs> I don't I, mean, I didn't think I did, but I was just <laughs> discussing the points. That is not a problem. <laughs> He said, find such a guru, a sad guru. What he was saying is, in any such position, that is very good. And then if the fact is, if your development is in relation to Madhuri Rasa, then some arrangement will be made. Look at the arrangement that was made for Shamananda, for Dukhi Krishnadas. An arrangement was made. And when the arrangement was made, how did he relate to Hridaya Chaitanya, who was his guru, who was in Sakyarasa? Did he say, oh, see, I'm finished with you now? Mm-hmm. No. He was initiated by a guru who was in Sakya Rasa. You know what Sakya Rasa is? It means the friendly love of Krishna. And he was in Vrindavan, sweeping the Vrindavan round, which is a common service. And he found one earring or bangle there. It was very mystical, and so he picked it up, and, and one gopi appeared. See how deeply he was absorbed and said, Oh, that is my mistress's, maybe Vishaka Gopi or Lalita Gopi. My mistress means Radha. She lost that last night while dancing here with Krishna. I've come to find it and you found it. Thank you very much. And she pressed that bangle on his forehead. I made a mark there, like a tilak mark. And so she claimed him for Gopi Bhava. I think she told him to go now bathe in the Jamuna. It must have been Vishaka because Jamuna is also considered an expansion of Vishaka Gopi. Go bathe in the Jamuna. He bathed in the Jamuna and he saw himself like a Gopi. So he started acting accordingly and then when he met his guru, Hridaya Chaitanya, who was a disciple of Goridas Pandit, who's Subal, Krishna's intimate friend in Krishna Leela, he saw that mark and he says, Why are you wearing that funny mark on your forehead? He said, Well, uh, you know, I can't take it off. This is how it happened. It's kind of a fantastic story. So your disciple comes and tells you that, and you think, well, wait a minute. Maybe you're uh, you know, imagining something here. So he didn't accept it on his face, and uh, so it was a big uh, controversy in the Sampradaya. And Jiva Goswami, who was the Siksha Guru for everybody at the time, no matter who you were initiated by, it was Jiva Goswami was like the Siksha Guru of all the Gaudi and Orian Vaishnavas. So... He accepted it, but still heard that Chaitanya was having some problem with it. And if I recall correctly, then some meeting was arranged in Vrindavan, and this um, Shamananda went into a trance. And he came back from the trance, and he told his, his Gurudev something, that in the trance he went into Krishna Leela, and Subal came and said to him, just tell your Guru this. And then he'll understand. Subal told him something. And so this disciple told his guru, who was a disciple of Subal, this. And Hridayachitanya knew he couldn't know this unless he heard this from Subal or my Gurudev, Gauridas Pandit, directly. And he just did it in meditation. So he accepted this must be, have been ordained that by a higher order, Vishaka Gopi has intervened and taken him on this side. So it was a happy event. And meanwhile, Duki Krishnadas, who became known as Shamananda then, Hridayat Chaitanya, remained his guru. 
He always served him faithfully, and of course, Hridaya Chaitanya had some difficulty with it, accepting service from him. Anyways. But it was a, a kind of a loving exchange like that. So, so it's not a problem. Purimo Goswami said, Baba, that's not a problem. You should be so lucky. Anyone, everyone should be so lucky. Yes. The identity of the Acharya and Guru is also such a private thing. How does it work that when it becomes, when there's a point where it becomes revealed, almost like you have to wait 50 or 100 years, and then it's in books everywhere. <laughs> you know, like we know who Bhaktivedanta is, we know who Dandi, now we know who Bhaktisiddhanta is. there some system to it? Does not everyone's. Wait till the not so advanced disciples leave, or I don't know. Well, it just kind of depends what group you're in, in one sense. Maybe dealt with differently. And uh, we were talking about the point of perfection, realization, and so forth. It's the only other thing you talk about at the beginning. Here's our Guru Dave. Please meet him. And you want to tell him he's a great preacher. He eats only Tulsi leaves or, or whatever, you know. <laughs> he does, he's like this. He writes books or he, you know, he's... Uh, great uh, speaker, or whatever it is, and he lives his life like he gets up at this time in the day, and he chants this many rounds, or whatever. You, you talk about all those external things, which are, of course, important and characterize him, and and so forth, and you introduce people like that. You don't go and say, here's our Gurudev, and he's such, such and such gopi, and he lives in this kunja, and he does like this, and it's a little bit too much, right? So in the general sense, therefore, it's not something that's usually talked about in, in the beginning. And um, it may depend on the guru if he wants to say something to his disciple. He may. We happen to come in the lineage that's a little bit closed-lipped about this. So we follow that system, pretty much. That Bhakti Sananda Sarasi talk was pretty closed-lipped. I mean, it did come out about him through one letter he wrote, and um, I guess he never really resisted it when that came out, but um, pretty much he was closed-lipped about it. That was his system, and uh, Prabhupada was more closed-lipped about it. And besides that, the evidence, the pramana, because I can cite to you different evidences, for example, which would support this or that about anybody. So let's say about Prabhupada, I could point to evidences from his movements, his talk, his, what he's written, and where he was born, and what kind of family lineage he's connected with, and all kind of things. I could cite so many such evidences, but and that may be useful, but it really evidence, and Puri Marsh mentioned the same thing to me, he said, the real praman, because I was talking to him about another subject once, and I said, such and such, go to Yamath, they say that their Gurudev is such and such, and so on and so forth, and uh, and he said, anybody may say anything. He said, uh, he never said that. What's his godbrother, one of his godbrothers, what we were discussing, he said, he had never said, he never said, they may say, disciples may say, but he said, pramana, I said, and they give this evidence. They say, my guru is such and such, and they give this kind of evidence. So I cited the evidence, and the evidence is rather, you know, minimal. I'm not trying to discredit it, but I just was bringing up the point. He said, anyway, anybody can say whatever evidence, but real evidence is realization. This is real pramana. So what he was saying is people should practice. And this is the way Prabhupada used to preach. When a lot of these things were talked about, then Prabhupada would say, why don't you go there and find out? Question about Krishna movies. Why don't you go there and find out? Because he was very much concerned that that his disciples would not be disenfranchised from going there by an intellectual sleight of hand and uh, just gathering information and perhaps even becoming proud based on that information. Or you can gather information, but it doesn't mean you've understood it either. You can misunderstand the information and so forth. So he was more, would emphasize practice, spiritual practice. Now, see, you can practice and this happens sometimes. You can find people, for example, in a mission that's, that really practice a lot, but they don't have as much theoretical knowledge as another institution. ISKCON was like that in a lot of ways. When, when I was in ISKCON, there's a lot of information that we didn't have. that probably just wasn't sharing with their other sects that had a lot of information. 
Fedeskan was very vital. I can only speak about it when I was involved as far as direct experience, but it was very vital and dynamic at the time, and uh, people were making spiritual advancement, and Prabhupada was happy with that. He, he knew, well, everything will come. Whereas, you know, it's maybe good to give theoretical information. Nowadays, we have to, because it's just more out and about. So if you don't, aren't able to talk about it, then you're not going to be able to at least be in a position of a teacher very well. Because other people may talk about, and it's not like when we were in, when I was in Iskand, there was only one mission in the whole world. It's just, you know, it's not like that now, which is good. I mean, there are more missions, means there's more Krishna consciousness. And you may have certain people didn't quite fit in Iskand, it was uncomfortable for certain reasons, so they can go to another place. So, you know, it's, it's good. That's the kind of diversity that uh, that we uh, have always been told. Gaudi Vaishnavism is, uh, is as much about as it is about unity. Anyway. The people who have um, inclination to serve Krishna as, as a child, about some sort of mood, they want to sort of feel like Krishna as a baby and a toddler, but eternally he's only a 16-year-old boy. So I know Mother Isha, that she still thinks of him as a child, but do they only have to satisfy that? But it's still, you would think there's something specifically charming about that three or four-year-old or five-year-old. That's why. It's one of the reasons why, while everybody here who attains birth in Krishna Lila as a sadhaka, in other words, if you perfect yourself to the point in this life that you can take birth in Vrindavan during the time of Krishna's manifest Lila, that's the way in which you can enter into the unmanifest Lila. Everybody who does that and arrives there they want to go to Golok. They want to go from Surup City to Vastu City. But those who come from Vastu City to the manifest Lila, like you call the road show, those who are living in Golok, they all want to come there. You see? Because it's, it's sweeter, yeah. So once you go to Golok, then you want to come back to Gokul. <laughs> and so they go. But you see, just like a mother loves a child, so she has remembrances of all those activities, as you put it, of the toddler and so forth. And, and really, although her son may be an adolescent, she can't quite see him like that. You know, she sees him more as just, oh, he's my baby. How much relevance does it have in our conditioned state as to what we think about these things, as to what actually one may end up you know, in the state of Swarup City, as you say? Is it necessarily connected, or is it necessarily disconnected, or something in between? It could be either one. What we look for is serious, serious spiritual practice. Serious spiritual practice. I tell you, if you have real serious spiritual practice and you have an interest in one of these sentiments, then in a, in a reasonable way, then pursue it, cultivate it relative to the level of your, your interest. Not as I say, in, in an ordinate way and, mm. and imaginative way or imposing. Yeah, or um, if we were to collect information about such, it should be with a view to fuel my practice rather than just collect information and to tell other people. Or So what I'm saying to you is, uh, you know, follow your heart. I mean, I've been involved for some time. And always ask some advice of someone, some senior person, and then. But it, see, another thing about this is this kind of deeper practice that we call the Raghunugabhajan. It really doesn't require any. Is it okay? Because it's very characteristic. Is it doesn't care whether it's okay or not. It just you know. <laughs> that's it's, that's what it's about. That's its nature. Mm-hmm. So we can understand that if that if if I need some kind of sanction or something like that, well, it's, at best it's a budding, you know, interest. And, but then we should try to get some, say, you know, Maharaj, I feel like this, I read these things and this, hear all this, I, I, I find interested in that. Then if someone you know and that, that kind of guy, you may say yes, then pursue that. Then you become happy and you just pretty much remain the way you are. <laughs> This is a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shilaporia Maharaj, obviously, he's, he's, 
that we are reading here so much from his side, and he always takes you back to the names. The names will just right. simply take you right. where you need to go, but then that's not an easy proposition either. It's a very serious and lengthy path in itself. Right. He used to say that there's no question of love of Krishna unless one can chant the holy name purely. This was just such a nice, such a simple but profound statement. So then it made it real clear what was your task. So you practice chanting the name of Krishna purely, without any offense. Then once you do that, then everything's done. <laughs> and if you don't do that, he used to say, there may be some other method, but I don't know about it. I don't, I don't know of any other method that really... People talk about other things, but I know this is the, is the teaching, and nobody can like dispute that. So that was the emphasis of Bhakti Siddhanta Sastri Thakur. But obviously, persons like Sastri Thakur, Puri Marshall, they knew the theory, they knew really where it was going, but they wanted to emphasize that rather than you become distracted by collecting this kind of information and thinking you're going somewhere, to invest your time and energy seriously in chanting and practicing, paying attention and so forth. Phil Shiramaz is often quoted as saying, you have to go to the door of truth and knock yourself. Why don't you go there? Hmm. Knock, you'll have to go there. Yeah, well that's a good way to put it too because satam, satam means truthful. It's another name for devotees. But to knock on the door of truth means you have to be introspective and truthful and honest with yourself. And, you know, the more that you are and you see where you're at, then it would be hard to uh, distort these things and act inappropriately in terms of cultivating. So knock on the door of truth yourself. Yes? You talked about submitting to your guide or guru, but with thinking, not mindlessly, like that some people join organizations in the military, so they'll yeah. be thinking for them, but the, hmm. the kind of submission that's required in Krishna consciousness is you submit and surrender, but with thinking. You'd like to say some more about that. It feels, maybe I'm one of those people who want someone to do thinking for me, but it feels, I don't know how to put those two together, because surrender feels like whatever the person tells you, well, you're going to just do it. Well, well, let me say this to you, that if, if, you, if you actually surrender, then you will become a critical spiritual thinker at the same time. You seem to be a pretty critical thinker. So I would say you're doing okay. But that is what... I'm not ready to surrender. I feel like I'm not very surrendered these days if before surrender meant to me if that person who I'm looking to as my authority says, do it. Anyway, your authorities, they basically, whoever they are, they're teaching you to chant Hare Krishna. That is the main teaching. There's no that you should move here, move there, or start this business or change that, this service. Or, I mean, that's there to some extent, but that's relative. The teaching everyone is giving, that's universal in the Sampradaya. So surrender to that. That is the main thing. What about yeah. when you take, I'm thinking now of a spiritual guide, not the authority who's going to tell you whether you should live here or there or do this service or that, but your guru, Shiksha guru or Diksha guru, that kind of surrender where you're asking spiritual questions, you're getting an answer. Do you apply that critical thinking in that regard? They're giving you a spiritual answer to some question and maybe you don't, it doesn't sit well with you. I would think it's because I'm not wanting to give up on an art or something. But is that point do I get to think about that? That's, is that what... Uh, well, I don't know. It's, uh, kind, it's of kind of a general question and maybe it would be best answered with a specific example because to be honest with you, sometimes gurus do give advices they advise on the relative platform also and then they advise on the absolute platform in terms of spiritual the teachings and uh, well they may if you ask them and approach them for that and they may give advice like that but if anyway if they give spiritual instructions that don't sit well with you then you, you have to deal with that. You have to analyze why it's not sitting well with you. There may be a good reason for it, and there may be a bad reason for it, that maybe you don't really understand the teaching, and therefore you can't understand why he's saying that. You understood it differently, and therefore that doesn't sit well with you. Someone may hear me say something and think, oh, boy, I'm not going to go back there. You know, I heard him say it last night that life has no meaning. That's not what Prabhupada taught. Life has meaning, you know. 
you know, so it could be your fault. You take it out of context. You don't understand. You don't understand what he or she's really saying, or what the scripture teaches, and you thought you understood. And so you should ask for clarification. And uh, that would be uh, an instance of thinking critically, but spiritually, because when I say spiritual, I mean that I accept that this is spiritual and there's something beyond me here, and and so I have to approach it with some regard and and so on. And so, submissively, the the guru's business, is, you see, is, is not just to tell you what to do, but to clear your doubts. So he has to be able to remove those doubts, otherwise how you will be free to go forward, because doubt, suspicion, leads to suspension. You become suspended. And so that's his task. He's a servant, too. That's his service. And if you're sincere, then when you have doubts, then you, you fully voice those doubts. And then if he answers them partially, but not to your satisfaction, then you come back and you ask again, and you make your point. And if you do it right, submissively with regard and so forth, then he's going to see, oh, actually, yeah, she's right, or I see what she, you know, she's, yeah, okay. But that's an art <laughs> to do that. But it's that's what critical thinking is about. I mean, in many ways, Prabhupada's mission suffered from lack of critical thinking because he'd say something, people just do it. Instead of saying, that sounds good, Prabhupada, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, in this country, if you do that, people will think, you know, or whatever, to give him that kind of feedback. We weren't in much of a position to do that at, at that time, and that was a lacking that he himself said at different times that he felt. And that's just not in relation to relative things, but if I give you an instruction... For example, I say, I think you should do this. I want to know how it sits with you. Because if it doesn't sit well, you might find I'd say, oh, well, then do this. But if you just go, okay, I'll do that. I don't want to do that. It doesn't work for me, but the Guru Dave said I should do that. Then you're putting me at a disadvantage by not responding back. Guru Mukha Padma Bhokya Chite Te Koriya Aikya. Narutam Thakur says, we hear Guru sadhu, shastra, right? That everything has to be in accordance with guru, sadhu, and shastra. But there's a fourth thing also. Guru mukya padma Your own heart is part of the equation because the only reason you got involved wasn't because guru, sadhu, and shastra, because I cited a bunch of rules and from the shastra and what other sadhus have said, and I'm the guru. Therefore, that's not why you joined, but because your heart was captured. So whatever was said, it didn't matter if it was from this book or that person of antiquity had said it also. And you know, Okay, maybe that, that's an interesting logic that such things should be in place in spiritual circles, but because it moved you, it captivated your heart. Therefore, you came on board, you got involved. And so it's the guru's business to captivate our heart. And we can captivate it in a general sense, but then we have to captivate it fully. And you shouldn't make the task more difficult. And interestingly enough, in not wanting to make it more difficult, like I say, by getting an instruction and just taking it and running away with it, without giving your heart's feedback, you may make it more difficult for him to capture your heart. You might be surprised. You say, well, Gurudev, you know, that sounds good. I'd love to do that. I respect what you say. But it, but if I do that, then this might happen. And then he might say, oh, well, then don't do that. Sridhar Marsh was asked to go to the West and preach by Bhakti Siddhanta. He was the first one chosen to go to the West. He said, because he can never be converted. He said, in him, I, I know I have one disciple who has understood what I came to teach. So Sridhar Marsh said, if it is your order, I must go. But with your permission, let me submit the following, he said. First of all, he said, my nature is such that I'm not very accustomed to dealing with, in, with bigger circles of people, and I'm very introverted, and I tend to keep with smaller circles of people, and this will be, you know, take me out of my familiar territory, something like that. Secondly, he said, there are others in the group that are senior to me, more qualified, and whose English is better. I have difficulties understanding the Western intonation. 
and he's thinking that would be an important element you know, if you're going to go speak to the West. Of course, ironically, he was very poetic in his speaking, but there were others who spoke better English, and he thought that would be a good piece of equipment to relating to the Western world. Anyway, the two things. And he said, and third thing is, he said that time is short, and your company is very valuable, and I, I'm able to take advantage of your company, so I would like to keep in your personal company as long as I can. And Bhaktisiddhanta was charmed by that. Finally, by the third point, he was charmed by that. If he rested only on the first two points, he might have said go. But when the third point came, <laughs> she charmed him. So he stayed in India. Then the task was passed to another. So that's some, I guess, example of critical spiritual thinking. The guru wants you to think, and he thinks you have an opinion. And, and he's been storing things in you for so long, so... Some of it's going to come back. Some of his own advice, insight, realization is going to come back through you. This is a bodhayantas parasparam, tushyanti cha, What does Krishna say? Mutually enlightening one another. I mean, you know, there's no limit to this. It goes on forever. Such is the nature of the topic. So mutually discussing, enlightening one another. Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta Sastitakra saw his own disciples as if they had been sent by his guru to keep him engaged in Krishna consciousness. You know how Prabhupada spread the mission? My Prabhupada? How he spread the mission of Krishna consciousness all over the world? He gave the holy name of Krishna to people. He said, I was experimenting to see what would happen. I gave it out, and as he got back a response from them, he followed that response. If somebody said, Prabhupada, I think there should be a temple in Germany, Prabhupada said, yes, that's good. Go to Germany. There should be a temple there. When one of his disciples said, Prabhupada said he didn't want him to do a certain thing, he, and he was so absorbed in that, that he said, Prabhupada, if I don't do that, I might as well go to China. Prabhupada said, yes, China, China. There should be a temple in China. Go there. And so that's not perhaps the best example of what I'm talking about, but when the devotees had inspiration, and he knew they were following he concluded, oh, the inspiration is coming from their practice. So Krishna is speaking to me through them. There should be a temple here, or we should do that, and, and so forth. And so he, he, he was following Krishna's lead appropriately as he should, even as it manifested through his disciples. Of course, the disciple will think, oh, Gurudev, you put that inside of me. Now you're calling on it for my advice. Many years ago, somewhere you slipped that in, and now it's you're, you're calling it back from your file. What is that? Did I say there? What is that? And, and uh, your guru will, will be very should be very pleased if you're very if you're thoughtful in your answers, your replies, or Krishna conscious. Maybe he's testing you. He says, "Don't do that." Well, I don't know again what the instructions are. Glad to be of some service. So, well, I'll see you this evening. Who's ever here? Okay. <laughs>